It is Monday, July 24th, 2023. This is another edition of Baseball Today. That is my man, Trevor Plouffe. I am Chris Rose, producer Dan, along for the ride as well, as I welcome you to some undisclosed location in California. Ooh. I know. Send me 20 bucks on Vemo. I'll let you guys know where it is. Ah, ah. This was the most unrose thing ever. Michelle was like, okay, I want you to hear me out before you get mad. But we have some friends, two two couples. They want to go away for a couple. This was like, usually I need a good month in advance to process everything emotionally. But we decided we did it like in less than 48 hours. Booked a great place. We're down here. It's gorgeous. Unfortunately, I have to leave a little earlier than Michelle, but that's okay. That's the working world. I love that you get, you did that. Uh, being spontaneous mm-hmm. is the key to a long-lasting relationship, as you well know. Right. I also had a very spontaneous weekend that I don't really want to get into just yet, but I'll tell you later. Um, so snaps for us for being spontaneous. Right. And snaps, not to mention in mm-hmm. Omaha, tip of the cap. Oh, I Thanks like that. Lid, by the way, I think it's awesome. To Bryce Harper. First time he ever played first base in the show against my Cleveland Guardians, and dude goes into a camera well with no padding, basically. I mean, come on, dude, right? Unreal. Uh, he looks good over there, and, you know, that's kind of what you expect from a guy that plays the game the way he does. He did. No, the camera well, no padding, no fence. Who cares? I'm getting that ball. I love that. Look at that. He knew exactly what was going right. to happen once he went up there. He's like, my legs are gone. I'm going to fall, but that's who Bryce is, man. Yeah, he actually made a couple of really nice plays this weekend. He did. Solid. It And it, what it'll allow is to make a trade. If they want to, they can get Schwarber off his feet in the outfield. Go get an outfielder that could help him, maybe. Yes. And your Cleveland Guardians were this close to the sweep, C-Rose. I know. That's what I was oh, texting well. you about. Yeah, I know, but I was... I was a few in at the pool. I was watching that game, and Jimenez hits into the double play instead of letting Miles Straw steal the base. Then Fry hits the homer. It would have been a walk-up instead of tying the game. Then you get beaten extras, and that's how you're in second place in the L Central. Okay, let's move on. Some crazy shit happened this weekend. Which playoff contender showed you the most over the last three days? Which one left you wanting more? Where you're like, come on, let's pick it up a little bit. We'll start. We'll go good, good, bad, bad. Okay, we're gonna talk about a few teams who I'm. Uh, I really love. I mean, I'm in love with them for different reasons. First, we're gonna talk about my Minnesota Twins on the good side. Mm-hmm. They take care of business. They've been playing really well since the All Star break. They went, I believe, six and two on the road trip. Now sweeping the White Sox that puts them at nine and two over the last eleven. And they had to do it in comeback fashion in the last game. They handled business first two games. They get Buck back hitting in the first game, two homers. He was with, he had an 0 for 26 little run there uh, to start the second half. Uh, last game, they score three runs in the ninth to come back. Then they win it in extras. You got to beat the White Sox. At this point, the White Sox are just not a good team. You have to beat the White Sox. You have to keep going. Uh, and they did that. And offensively. When the Twins have scored more than four runs, Chris, four or more, excuse me, they're 41 and 12. 41 and 12. So, like, the offense is kind of coming alive right now. Uh, But to win that last game, come back the way they did, uh, was really impressive to me. So, I'll say that that is who got to me the most. 
for me, I know we spent a lot of time talking about this series both Thursday and Friday, but I'm going to continue on with what the Baltimore Orioles did this weekend in Tampa. Let's remember, at the beginning of this month, they were six and a half back of the race. Now, because the teams have gone in opposite directions, they have a two-game lead in that really tough AL East. The thing I loved most was that all these games were highly competitive. And yes. this is what you're going to see in the playoffs. It's this type of ball. You're not winning a lot of playoff games 8-1. to one. Just to, It just doesn't feel like that happens a whole lot. So the fact that they can continue to, even if they blow a lead, rebound, be okay, turn the ball over to that dominant bullpen, they're going to be just fine. They won both one-run games. They won a two-run game. They lost a 3 nothing game in this series. They're awesome. And Ryan O'Hearn, mm-hmm. good for you, dude. I know that he doesn't qualify among league leaders and stuff like that. He does lead the Orioles in terms of team OPS. Uh, he's at almost 900 when his career has been just a smidge over 700. I like it when dudes find it a little bit later in their career. I think that's kind of a cool story. I love it. They look good. Uh, yeah, a bunch of guys stepped up. Gunnar Henderson had a really good series. And the Rays, mm-hmm. I believe, are 4-14 and 14 this month, which is just Oof. crazy to think about. You asked me that question, C-Rose. Would the Orioles ever catch the Rays? And I don't remember what I said. Well, I think w- what we asked was, will the Rays ever relinquish the lead in the AL East? And we both yeah. agreed that n- that no, but if somebody took it from them, that it'd be the Orioles. So here we are. That's not a great answer. We can't do that. You don't allow me to give caveats like that. No, no, I think that that I think that's a fair answer. All right, let's do the bad one pretty quickly here because we got a lot to get through. Bad one would be the San Francisco Giants who got swept by the Nationals and the offensive output has just not been there. Uh, Cincinnati, two two runs scored in a loss. They've lost five in a row now in those losses. Two runs scored, one run scored, three runs scored, one run scored, one run scored. So that's, to me, you can't be doing that. and Or else you're going to go on an L5 streak like they're at. And like they don't have a lot uh, of like wiggle room essentially like you you can't afford those types of losing streaks uh right now they are still in a wild card spot but there is philly nipping at your heels now miami's going that way too they're still a half game back but they're headed down it's going to be tightly contested in the nl wild card spot can't be having those l5s well do you know which team in the National League had the second best record at the break in that league behind the Atlanta Braves? The Reds? That was the Miami Marlins. Oh, okay. They finally snapped their eight-game skid yesterday. They got their first win since returning from recess. And just barely. But the the downer weekend continued at home against Colorado, one of the worst teams around there. They had a 3-0 lead in a game where Johnny Cueto pitched beautifully. Nolan Jones ends up tying it. Rockies ended up winning it by a run. Now, it's interesting, but Craig Mish, who covers the team, put out a tweet, and he said, listen, I don't know if it's coincidental, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially said ever since they sent down Yuri Perez to kind of limit his innings right before the break, remember when that happened? Yes, I do. This team has gone to shit. So I don't know if you're screwing with the baseball gods or if there's something bigger here or if this team just kind of turned into what many of us thought they'd be in the beginning of the season, which was a so-so team. 
You know, I remember when we did the live talking baseball at the All-Star game in Seattle, somebody asked us a question about predicting um, the wild card teams from the National League. And I didn't put Miami in that group. And everybody said, well, what about the Marlins? They got the second best record. I was like, I mean, still got 75 games to go. And here we are. And they're on the outside looking in. With a team that's offensively challenged like the Marlins, they're prone to those streaks. I just talked about the Giants. You can't do that um, mm-hmm. because they're a better offense. Like they have up and down their lineup, good hitters that, you know, produce at above average uh, rates. Uh, the Marlins necessarily don't have that. So they are prone to these losing streaks. And that's probably why that you said they might not be in the NL wild card because of that. And they're showing it right here. All right, let's pick up the pick up the pace a little bit on this. Okay, jeez. Uh, a couple of huge series getting started today. I'm not saying you, but us. It's an us thing. Uh, Cincy and Milwaukee. That'll be their final time that they meet this year. Astros and Rangers. It's both a uh, one versus two in their respective division. Which one are you more interested in? Uh, I like the NL, uh, the Milwaukee versus uh, Cincinnati. I think that's a, a great one. They just played Milwaukee, took two out of three. Uh, from them, Milwaukee's up a half of the game right now. So I know it's the last time they're playing, which kind of stinks, to be honest with you. You wish this was more towards mm-hmm. the end of the year. But I, I just like the way these two teams match up. I think it's really good baseball when they get together. Um, shout out my guy, Sal Frelick. Can you do it again against your division rival? Uh, but I'm definitely going to be tuned into that. They're shopping Jonathan India, apparently. They want young, controllable pitching right. for him. Uh, we'll see if something goes down during the series. Can you take away one of your clubhouse leaders during a series like this? I'm interested in it. Yeah. So let me correct you on, on one thing. You said that the uh, Milwaukee took two out of three right after the break. They actually swept Cincinnati. The amazing thing about that was Cincinnati only gave up eight runs the entire series and didn't win a single game. And with that offense, the way that they've been hitting the ball with all those young guys coming up, you would have thought they would have won at least one, if not the entire the entire series so that's what I'm i thought they, at. i'm sorry uh, i thought they i thought they lost on baseball reference here it has them uh they're losing eight to five july 8th july 8th no no that was the series before the all-star break yes remember they played one right out of the break remember they played consecutive series they played the last one before mm, the All-Star okay break. okay that was the one that was the one I was looking at sorry yes and then yeah. then right after the break they but, won one nothing three nothing four yes. three you're right okay that you know I think Burns struck out 13 in one game Peralta yes, yes you're right that's a, my bad a one hitter in the other the point is this Milwaukee's dominated Cincinnati when it comes to wins and losses this year they've won eight out of ten this is the last chance for Cincinnati to make its mark you mentioned the Jonathan India stuff. Freelich, awesome in his debut. Three for three, a couple of fantastic catches against the wall. So there's a lot going on here. The Houston thing is going to be interesting. There's no Avaldi. They're pushing him back. They're trying to get him a little extra rest. Sounds like Jordan might be back at the big league level here soon. Altuve continues to work out on the field. This has gotten real interesting. That is a three-game lead. Um, still with several months to go in the season. So there you go. Okay. All right. Today's episode of Baseball Today, sponsored by our friends over at SeatGeek. If you have no idea what SeatGeek is, open up your ears. They're the number one ticketing app making buying tickets so simple. More than 28 million downloads. That's what makes them the baddest team around. And by bad, I mean good. Did you know there are more than 70,000 events every single day available on SeatGeek? That includes 
sporting events, concerts, festivals, oh, so much more. And they always want to make sure you're getting a great deal. So what you do is you download the app on your phone. You'll get in there and you'll notice these little green dots at whatever venue you're trying to go to. What that means is green is good. That is a good deal. Might not be the most expensive ticket in the house, but it might be the best deal available. Then you'll see ones that are red. Don't buy those. So red, stop, green, go. Also, every ticket is backed by a buyer guarantee and SeatGeek's the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of time with swaps. And we've got the hookup for you. Use the code word today, 20 bucks off your first purchase at SeatGeek. That is $20 off your first purchase with the promo code today. So click on the link in the description. Off you go. Maybe you can get a ticket for Plouffe and he will show up and buy you beers. Hmm. But then again, maybe not. Sounds good. Hey, your buddy Buster only was busy this weekend. Talking a lot about the Mets since he covered him on Sunday Night Baseball and did a fine in-game interview. Um, said that the Mets are going to listen on a bunch of their short-term veterans, a la Tommy Pham and David Robertson, but also Scherzer and Verlander could be in the mix. And then we also heard another report that the Padres might be dangling Blake Snell and Josh Hader, who are in their respective walk years out there as well. Out of those big four names, Snell, Hader, Verlander, Scherzer, any of them leave in their respective cities? This is tough because these two teams are like neck and neck in the standings, but I feel like there's two different scenarios here. So for me, I don't think the Mets trade either of those guys or, or, or almost anybody because they don't have like a core that's going to be there for a long time. So like it's it's kind of like they're windows now, essentially. So to be trading away doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, San Diego is like in a different it's different there. Uh, even though the standings are similar, it's their core is together for a long time. So like they have a window now of many years. So if you have guys in their walk year and maybe they don't really feel it this year, like it's it's their year, they have to jump too many teams. I wouldn't trade them personally, but I could see how they would be open to trading both Snell and Hater because right now they'd fetch a nice haul for this team. I mean, mm-hmm. relievers are always in high demand at this time. Hater's one of the best in the business. And Snell, the way he's been pitching, like he's going to get you back a nice return. Now, because they have that core together and because they're they don't have to think about just this year or next year, even, it's they have a window now of four, five, six years, really. Uh, I think maybe they go. So I guess to answer your question, of those four people, how many go? I'll say one. I'll say... You know which one? I, I don't. I don't. I think I think maybe Snell goes and maybe Hater stays. But if Snell goes, Hater should go too. I'm saying two now. I'm saying both Snell and Hater go. But really, I wish they wouldn't do that also. That's the asterisk. So the Padres are only six back of the wild card. The Mets are seven and a half. And I say only six. That is, that's still a pretty long way. But I, I think they feel like they could get on one of these runs. I think. Thank God. It makes sense to trade Josh Hader. You could get, you could get something really good for him. Really I mean, nice. That is, that is the, I don't know. What do you think? You think he's getting traded? You said I think yes. He, yeah, I, I I say yes just because of the window factor. That's why. Right. 
So I don't think the Mets really don't have a choice, man. They don't have like they 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 don't have this elongated window. They don't. Yeah, I I wonder if they approach. Remember, Scherzer and Verlander both have no trades, so it's not happening unless those guys sign off. And we heard a report that the Giants are really interested in Verlander. Does he want to go there for? Now here's the thing: he's he gets forty three million next year, right? Yeah, he gets forty three million next year. So I said Scherzer was going to get traded in our draft trade show. Once again, I do all that stuff for fun. I don't know if it's going to work or I was going to win, but I don't think he. I don't think he agrees to a trade. I think Verlander would be open to it. What the hell? I, now Verlander's going to go. Verlander will be the one that goes. Okay. I don't see it happening. The, the reports, the latest reports, and who knows if they're accurate or not, are that neither Scherzer or Verlander has been approached. Because they have to waive the no trade clause, like you said. Uh, Verlander and Scherzer will one likely be one day likely be teammates again in Cooperstown. There's a bunch of active players that are locks, right? Kershaw, Trout, Miguel Cabrera. There's a few other guys we think are really close. And then there's some who are like, well, could go this path, could not. We discussed that because Fred McGriff, Scott Rowland, awesome. In Cooperstown, always a big moment, always a lot of fun. Now, which player that is not a lock right now do you think will get his day on the big stage eventually? I'm going to call you out right now because you said to me before the show that you wrote active player in your question and you did not write active player in your I question. I did not write active. I meant active. You meant it. So that's on me. I was going to say Joe Mauro. So I was going to say Joe Mauro. Go quick. I think that. Uh, similar to the guy I'm about to give you who is an active player, I feel like he gets faulted for not playing long enough as a catcher. He had to deal with some concussion stuff, but his when he was good, his run was as good as a catcher's run has ever been. So I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I bet he does end up getting in. My guy that is on the fringe now, and man, it's like it's sad why he's on the fringe, is Jacob DeGrom. Now he sits right now at 44.6 war. His ERA career is 253. He's had one of the most impressive runs for a right-hander in baseball history. When you really chop it all down, he's multiple Cy Young winner. Um he's had incredible stretches here, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field. And you know, baseball has always the baseball hall of fame at least has always been, you know, they they guard the gate with innings played, innings pitched. Sometimes we have to look beyond that. Certain circumstances, Tony Oliva comes into mind. He finally got in. Um, sometimes you have to look beyond that. I think Jacob DeGrom, you can't really tell the history of the game without talking about one of the most electric pitchers of our generation. So he he doesn't have the longevity yet, I guess, because of the injuries that he's had. He doesn't have the maybe some of the counting stats, if you will. Um, I'm looking right now. How many wins does he have? 84 wins. You know, that's not that's not sexy to Hall of Fame voters, right? Strikeouts are only at 1,600. That's not sexy to voters. But, like, this guy has been the most dominant pitcher in our game over the last 10 years. So, I'll, I'll say yes. Can you I'll really say, say, that's say a guy's... Guy. Can you say a guy's been dominant when he hasn't pitched in the last three or four years? He can't, you can't say... He, he was, was dominant, small... yes. It was a very small window. Tim Lincecum was really dominant for a very small window. Corey Kluber was very dominant for a very small window. 
it, they always talk about seven it, year windows it's for six years. He was taking the pill every single day, putting up filthy numbers back to back Cy Young's in 18 and 19. One year one. he had a that's one a, seven. That's a great one. Uh, very quickly. I will mention two. I'm going to do the Trevor Plouffe. Thank you. Kenley Jansen. I know we talked about it when he got his 400 save earlier this year. I do believe that he gets in. He's not a, you know, tip of the tongue Hall of Famer, right? Where it just rolls right off and you're like, oh, sure fire. Particularly because the Hall hasn't been uber kind to every save artist. 400 saves doesn't definitely get you in. By the time he's done, though, with his Boston contract, he could be number four in saves all time. Also a 159 ERA plus. It's pretty good. The other guy's a little closer to home for me. And this one's really going to be fascinating to watch over the next five years is Jose Ramirez. He is on an offensive trajectory, very much the way that Scott Rowland was. OPS is nearly identical. He's already got more than 200 homers. He's only 30. He's got more than 1,200 hits. He's a great base runner. Now, the difference is he does not have anything close to Scott Rowland's defense. And that's going to be a problem. But what he does have already is four top six and three top four MVP finishes. And they do look at that. Were you constantly among the best players of your era? I mean, shit, if you make four top six MVP finishes, Roland was a top 15 guy one time in his career. One. And I know that the numbers are different. I understand the eras guys played in. Jose Ramirez, pretty damn good player. I like those. I like those. Let me go back to DeGrom real quick. Six top 10 side finishes, and guess what he leads in all time in, Chris, pr- a pretty important statistic. Strikeouts per walk. 5.38 strikeouts per walk. Leads, it's an all-time career record. That's, what it's going to take is a major adjustment from the writers. Major. And not that it won't be worthy at the time because we're going to have to sit down and see what it... You know, if he doesn't throw another pitch, I don't see how he gets in the Hall of Fame. But if he does come back in 2025... And he's able to throw for a couple more years and still be this freak athlete. It's possible. That'll that's a really good one. Really good one. Hey, this weekend, Saturday, July 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern, Errol Spence Jr. takes on Terrence Crawford. Undisputed welterweight world championship. It is live on ppv.com. Did you know that ppv.com is the only streaming platform where boxing fans can participate in a live interactive fan chat hosted by boxing experts. You know who's leading the chat in this Ford Spence brawl? I do. I do. None other than our own old man, Dan. Dan Canobio. He'll be joined by Chris Algieri and legendary boxing writer Lance Pugmire as well. I love the chats. They're always great. They're a ton of fun. We have them when we have our warehouse games and it gets dicey in there in the most entertaining and positive way for the most part. So just imagine what it's going to be like for you during a world championship fight. Those guys are going to bring it. PPV.com, the most convenient, reliable, engaging way to stream your pay-per-view events. No subscription required ever. So you can download the PPV.com app to all your favorite devices. You can watch on your computer, your phone, and of course on your big screen TV. Just zap that bad boy up there. So order Spence Crawford, PPV.com right now. Believe me, it is the very best way to watch this fight, and you will not want to miss it. Before we get out of here on the YouTube and podcast side of things, Dodgers, another explosive weekend. They take another road series. 
great road trip to start the second half for them. In Texas, they put up 16 runs on Saturday, and they were doing the Freddie Freeman dance, at least according <laughs> to Sportsnet LA, that the new celebration was inspired by his dance moves to usher at this year's Dodger Gala. Um, I think he was watching the Wicket Dance. Yes, instead. cease and desist. Yeah. Do I have... Do I have to talk to Freddie Freeman the next time I go down to Dodger Stadium about, you know, where did you get this celebration? We've been doing this for months on end with the ball and play league. There's a lot of similarities between you and Freddie. Okay. Uh, Both famous, both rich. You both have beautiful wives. And now we can add to that list the dance moves. So do I think he was inspired by you? I'm not sure. Do I think you're similar in a lot of ways? Yes, I do. I'll take that. Everything but the talented, rich, and successful part. Both overachievers in your looks compared to your significant other. It's Yeah. Yeah. You guys are doing it. Okay. That is true. Yeah, I, we we got a lot of tweets about that with Freddie doing it, and everybody's like, he's doing the wicked dance. He's doing the wicked dance. Don't try and one up my guy Darren Sammy, Freddie Freeman. Darren Sammy's on a different level than both of you guys. Even you, Freddie. Hmm. Um, uh, if you haven't checked it out, Ball and Play League championship game the is championship. out. It was good stuff. Good stuff. I even took a little time out of my vacation schedule to go peek in on it. Uh, latest episode of the Rose Rotation has Freddie Freeman's teammate, Miguel Rojas, on it. Unfortunately, we caught up with him before the whole Wicked Dance exploded this weekend in the Dodgers clubhouse. So we Didn't talk to him about that, but we did have a lot of interesting chat. Um, Had been a while since we caught up with him, so that was that was nice. And he, you always feel a little bit better when you get some Miggy Rowe in your uh, in your veins. So that's good. That is nice. Um, We're back at it again tomorrow. I'm gonna have to talk to you about the time. We might have a Rose rotation guest that would push us up. No, not even if it's a big one. We're going to talk about that. I've mentioned this to you before. Let's talk offline. Oh, gosh. All right. That's that. All right. So for our one-of-a-kind producer, Dan Rourke, and the uber-talented Trevor Plouffe, I am Chris Rose. We will see you Tuesday on Baseball Today.